0: Some of you, we have one in my house, and I didn't bring it in. What I'm talking about are digital assistants. Some of you have Apple phones. Let's take Who has Apple phones here today? Oh, boy, a fair number of you. If you care to rely on her, Siri, your digital assistant, will come to you through your Apple phone, and she'll try to help you in so many ways. Some of you uh, with your Amazon digital assistant, does anybody know her name? Starts with A. That actually sounded like Alexa. Thank you. You I heard Alexa. She's up on the balcony. And unfortunately, Google is just called Hey Google, Okay Google. That's the one in our house. Her son Matthew got it with another purchase and they donated it and it turns lights on and colors. I don't have one because... I think they're spying on you. I, you know, I think they're spying on you. And Google runs YouTube, which this is over, and this whole might be blocked out. But, uh, but uh, we have a special Father's Day video to bless you with today. And what if your digital assistant could be programmed with your dad? I think that's a cool idea. Let's look at that now.
1: you're still struggling with life in the real world you're going to love our latest home speaker device hey dad what kind of pliers should i use on this
2: uh you should be using a wrench oh do i have a wrench you have three
1: ah thanks dad introducing the dad personal assistant our newest smart speaker with all the character and compassion of a father
2: up and at him. it's a beautiful day oh,
1: dad it's saturday
2: yeah it's a great day to get outside it's 6 a.m well then you better get moving before it gets any later
1: designed with advanced features the dad pa connects to all your other smart home devices
2: dad please set the thermostat to 70 degrees no problem setting the thermostat to 68 degrees um no let's keep it at 70 degrees sure thing thanks dad We're going to save so much money.
1: He syncs with your calendar to help you stay on track.
2: Looks like you're overdue for an oil change.
1: Oh, hey, you're right. Can you schedule one for Friday?
2: I've already got it scheduled. Just don't miss it, okay?
1: (laughs) Okay, I won't.
2: (laughs) Seriously, don't miss it.
1: The Dad PA is always watching out for you.
2: Lights on. Uh, Hey, it's getting late. I think it's about time for Brad to head home.
1: Dad! The dad personal assistant includes a wealth of knowledge and opinions on a wide variety of subjects. Dad, can you help me with my taxes?
2: Dad, do you know a good mechanic? Hey, Dad, can you
1: tell me a joke? Sure. The
2: joke is one billion dollars.
1: Uh, I don't get it.
2: That's right. And you never will.
1: Ah, uh, nice one. <laughs>
2: I'm hilarious.
1: Based on God's original design, the dad personal assistant is wise, caring, faithful, and devoted.
2: Don't worry. You've got this. You are the strongest person I know. You have made me so proud. You are God's child, and you don't need anyone else to complete you, especially not Brad. (sighs) Really, Dad? I'm just saying, there's other fish in the sea. Okay, wow.
1: The Dad Personal Assistant. Always thoughtful, always dependable, and always there for you.
0: There we go. I hope you enjoyed that. I think that has... uh, It's funny because there's a lot of truth there, isn't that? I wish we had that. Friends, uh, we are going through our summer series of messages. We're just in the early days of it. And the series, we focus on the 12 Now when you talk about the twelve in Scripture, that is the name of that group of disciples that were called out from among the larger group and appointed by Jesus to be his representatives like his ambassadors, his sent ones. And that name, sent ones, gives them the term apostles. The Apostles, known more often in Scripture as the twelve, uh, the number of the twelve obviously reflecting us, a biblical number, reminding us of the twelve tribes of Israel, completeness, uh, God's people has so many meanings. And Jesus, as he sent them out, reminded them that their mission was a reflection and a continuation of his mission. As we read together last week, Jesus and said to the twelve, again Jesus said, peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. That's from John chapter 20, a passage as you read it, that Jesus empowers the twelve for that mission by breathing on them the Holy Spirit. That spirit-filled mission of Christ sharing the good news is one that Jesus passed on to His disciples, focusing first on the twelve, and then they became disciples who made disciples, who made disciples, who made disciples. disciples. All the way till today, and you as a follower of Christ are the most recent addition of those called ones and sent ones, beginning all the way back to the ministry of the twelve. If we only knew, and I believe one day in heaven we'll know, all the men and women and young people of faith that were part of that chain of sharing the love of Jesus that came down to our lives today, we would be amazed at God's providential hand. Well, today is Father's Day, and as I've often said when it comes to pastor preaching a series, especially with Mother's Day, I always say, when you get to Mother's Day, set aside your wishes and focus on the blessing of moms. Well, today I've tried to do both with dads. Not that dads are any less important, but I look at the story of the 12 and I see the influence, the fingerprints of dads all over the lives of these called and sent individuals. I've called today's message, Like Father, Like well, we know how that ends. What's the, what's the, the proverbial saying like father, like, Stop. like son. Thank you, Isabel. And like mother, like, that's right. That's another, not as common as like father, like son. But those proverbs, they're true because there's so many things about us that we don't even realize we picked up from our moms and our dads. They passed on to us. They taught us with their actions and their attitudes, their lives, even more than their very words. They passed on these things to us. I mentioned my dad would be watching down in Texas. Uh, he passed on not only uh, a lot of his attitudes and who he is as a person to we, his children, but to me as one of the kids, I got his name as well. You know me as Pastor Allen, or as Isabel calls me, Adventure Al uh, from VBS days, but My first name is James, just like the disciples meant Jacob in the old days. It's James because my dad goes by that name. I went by my middle name, but, but I'm James Allen. My son is Michael James. My dad is Harvey James his dad was James O'Dale his dad was James Franklin and it goes back I think the chain was broken way way back with George Washington Powell who (laughs) but you know I can tell you I don't I never met the man died long before I was born but I know something about him because I'm a lot like my dad and my wife claims as I get older I get more like him if you know what I mean (laughs) And I know what my son Mike is going to be like. And those of you who know Luke, you can tell a bit what he's going to be like when he gets older as you get to know me. He's going to get shorter like me. No, he's not. He's much taller. But I can tell about my grandfather because as I saw him at an older stage, I, my dad became more like him. And you know, I bet I, we're a bunch like James Franklin Powell, George Washington Powell. Those men in the past... Because they passed on who they were and left those marks in our lives. Like Father, like Son. Well, that brings us to the twelve. And it's not an accident that when Jesus called out from among His broader disciples those twelve individuals that there are numerous sets of brothers. Two for sure. Very likely three sets of brothers among the apostles. And that tells me that those men had fathers of influence that left a positive mark on the lives of their sons. And we know the names of three of them. We know the apostles had fathers named Jonah or John, Alpheus, and the individual we'll look at closest today, Zebedee. Now, Zebedee, first point I want to make today is that Zebedee reared up some remarkable sons. In fact, he gave them their name and they're known primarily as the sons of Zebedee. Now, Zebedee, you say, is that an Old Testament name? Well, it certainly is from the Old Testament. It's an Aramaic name. In Aramaic, it's Zebadia, uh, which means the gift of Yahweh. In Greek, it's Zebedios, but it meant the gift of the Lord. He is a gift to his children He was a gift to his parents as he was born, and in turn, his life was a gift to his sons. Zebedee. Zebedee reared remarkable sons. We know them as James and John. That's two-thirds of Jesus' inner circle. Peter, James, and John. James and John were the sons of Zebedee, those closest to Jesus, those privileged, for instance, to be with him, the three alone who were with him on the Mount of Transfiguration. They were the ones on the Mount of Olives who asked Him, Lord, what will be the sign of Your return, the signs of Your appearing? The sons of Zebedee were always right in the middle at Jesus' right hand. Well, we see them referred to in the apostolic lists. And I'm going to read a number of passages that are going to be parallel with one another. Remember, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic gospels, have many of the same events, sometimes in the same words, sometimes adding extra or different details. And I'm going to read a couple of the passages that will be parallel passages. The first passage I want to point out today is part of the apostolic listing as Jesus all night in prayer, remember a couple of weeks ago, called out, And appointed the twelve. Well, Mark chapter 3, beginning in verse 16, says that these are the twelve he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. And then the list goes on. But we want to stop right there because we've seen already the impact that the man Zebedee has on Jesus' mission. That one-sixth of Jesus' apostles were raised by Zebedee. So he obviously raised remarkable sons. And what does that tell me? It tells me that Zebedee in his life and his faith had to be a remarkable man. I meet many people that I hold in great esteem. And without even knowing their mother and their father, I know they were wonderful people. And I often say, I wish I had met your dad. He must have been a wonderful man, a man of faith and strength of character. Why do I say that? Because I see it in you, like father, like son, like mother, like daughter. And that goes the other way. Fathers pass on to their daughters wonderful attributes as well as mothers uh, and their love and care. Hopefully finds a reflection in the hearts and lives of their sons as well. Jesus, though, as he gave Peter another name, a nickname, a name that spoke of his character, Peter, or Cephas in Aramaic, meant rock. Rock. And many people connect that to Jesus saying upon Peter's confession of faith at Caesarea Philippi, you are Peter, upon this rock I will build my church. Some people say, well, that's because Peter was the first bishop or the pope or so forth. But it seems from the context that it's Peter's profession of faith that Jesus speaks of as foundational for the church. We're not grandchildren, we're children of God. We need personal faith in the Lord ourselves. What, though, did the name, the nickname that Jesus gave to James and John mean? The Sons of Thunder, an Aramaic boanerges, a strange-sounding thing to our ears, Sons of Thunder. Well, some people have tried to find prophetic meaning of it as a prophetic utterance of Jesus. Just as Peter spoke of character, though, I believe the Sons of Thunder spoke of the character of James and John. It tells me very likely they were forceful, even loud individuals. We all know people like that. Some people are very quiet. They work behind the scenes. People like Andrew, who are good at bringing people and, and, and making connections, and they, they keep everything running. And then there's those loud, upfront people like Peter, James, John these three that were especially groomed for leadership in the early church Peter James and John all of them seem to be forceful individuals and all of them Jesus gave names that spoke of character the sons of thunder though is a fascinating name number one it tells me as sons of Zebedee and they're always referred to as the sons of Zebedee is that They got a lot of who they were, that loudness, that character, that strength, that fieriness. They obviously got that zealous attitude toward God and faith from their father and mother especially Zebedee. I'm sure he modeled that for them. Remember last week or two weeks ago, no, last week, we were talking about Andrew and some of the fishermen. They first, we see them as disciples of John the Baptist, not by the lake in Galilee, but far to the south in the Judean desert following John the Baptist. And one of those followers who was with Andrew that day, when Jesus said, come and see where I'm staying, taught them the whole day, was John, son of Zebedee. That tells me that Zebedee was a godly and faithful man who allowed his son, part of the family business, to take a sabbatical to follow and search for God's will by following John the Baptist. Following him to such an extent that it seems that both Andrew and John were close disciples, standing at John's side, and John even would give them directions, John personally pointed them both toward Jesus. Zebedee must have allowed that. He must have had that positive spiritual influence in the lives of his sons, but uh, I'm sure it was all wrapped in a big personality. Zebedee, the father of the sons of thunder. How much of that thunder found its root in the lightning of Zebedee's personality? Well, Luke chapter 9 gives us a glimpse into young John and James. We often know John as the one who in his old age wrote the Gospel of John. Up into his 80s and 90s wrote the book of Revelation, the letters 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. In all of those, the theme is love, and he is the apostle of love. But as a young man, probably a very young man, most likely in his early 20s, if not late teens, John was a fiery individual. He had the fire of Zebedee in him. He was zealous and jealous for Jesus' honor, looking out for his master. And we see that fiery sons of thunder attitude passed on, no doubt, from his father in the gospel of Luke chapter nine. I'll begin in verse 49. This follows immediately as part of the context the disciples are fussing and fighting among themselves over who's the boss. Very likely, the division was always between Peter and James, son of Jonah, son of Zebedee, partners in business, type A personalities, butting heads, and you know whose side John would come down on likely, big brother James. It seems that they were always wondering who's in charge when Jesus wasn't around. Jesus comes... He takes a child in their midst and says, you gotta be like a little child if you're gonna be a leader in my church. Well, in this context, following immediately after that, we see something from John and James, beginning in Luke chapter 9 verse 49. Master, said John, playing his role, we saw a man driving out demons in your name. We tried to stop him. Because he's not one of us. Obviously, John, looking for points from Jesus, filled him in. Jesus, we saw a guy casting out demons in the name of Jesus. Oh, we put a stop to that. What's he talking about? Was it better to leave this person oppressed by unclean spirits? Unless he had Jesus' personal seal of approval? John obviously thought he was going to be commended for this. It shows that he's jealous and zealous for Jesus' ministry. Verse 50, do not stop him, Jesus said, for whoever is not against you is for you. Jesus says, spiritually, he's pulling on the same end of the rope as you are. Don't fight it. And then immediately following that, we see more of the sons of Zebedee. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them and they went to another village. Now that's amazing. That's sons of thunder material. Both trying to stop people from ministering unauthorized in Jesus name. Playing traffic cop, if you will. And now we see a Samaritan village seeing that Jesus as a Jewish teacher was heading toward Jerusalem and they felt they could worship in Samaria. We've seen that before in the story of the woman at the well, that antipathy between the Samaritans and the Jews. Now, this is amazing to me. Look what John and James do. They see this village rejecting Jesus, even refusing to sell them food, providing basic sustenance and hospitality. So what do they do? They don't ask Jesus to destroy the village. They ask permission for them to call down fire from heaven like Elijah on Mount Carmel, they had great faith. They'd seen, this is near the end, Jesus is on His way to Jerusalem for the final time. They had been with Jesus now for years. And they knew the power of God that came through faith in Christ. They were confident, just as Peter hopping out of the boat and walking for a time on the water, they were confident that if in Jesus' name they called down fire and destroyed every man, woman, and child in this village, that God would do it. That's a lot of faith but it was misplaced. Jesus came to save. He didn't come at this time to judge and destroy. No. He says we'll go to another village and so he rebuked them. Kept their fiery attitudes, their zealous attitudes in check for a season longer. Well that tells us a lot about the sons of thunder. Zebedee had to have passed on some of that big personality, that big faith uh, to his sons. What we're called, though, is not to pass on anger to our sons. I often see it as parents, especially moms in this difficult age to raise a child. It's so dangerous, the things that our children face today that we didn't face even uh, when we were kids, that they often pass on a sense of fear. Rather than preparing their children to exhibit faith and be salt and light in the world, the easiest thing is to give in to fear and to keep them close and wrap them in bubble wrap and protect them when we need to grow them. Well, fathers, if mothers struggle with passing on fear, fathers struggle with passing on anger. And I'm sure that Zebedee was an angry man. Angry at taxes. Angry at at Roman occupiers, angry at empty fishing nets, angry at everything, bad weather, you know, it would just, I'm sure this man would fly off the handle given the right mode. He loved God, loved his family, but he passed on anger. As dads, we need to be especially aware that this is something that we struggle with. Scripture makes special heed to that, not to provoke or arouse anger. fan it into flame in the lives of our children as the apostle paul says in ephesians chapter 6 he says father do not fathers do not exasperate your children literally that is provoke them to anger instead bring them up in the training and the instruction of the lord love of god and his word one of the hardest things for a man to overcome in his life is having had an angry father makes relations with everyone else difficult because that becomes our basic setting that we deal with life from. Pass on God. Let them see Him in our life every day. That's the reality of the familiar passage from Deuteronomy 6. As God is making a nation set apart to Himself, He wanted it to be something that families taught and families lived of the commandments of God, the Lord says in Deuteronomy 6, verse 6, These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. All areas of our life should teach the truth of God's Word. Not only the words themselves, but the impact they have on our lives. Not only do we take after our earthly fathers, but more and more we need to reflect and take after our heavenly fathers. Having said all of that, Zebedee raised some remarkable sons, the sons of thunder. But Zebedee, he also not only reared remarkable sons, but he raised hard workers. That's one thing that the fathers of the Bible we see again and again that they taught their children to work. They passed it on. Now, understandably, in that culture, you generally taught your sons your profession. Jesus, the carpenter's son. James and John, they didn't take up carpentry. They were sons of a fisherman, so they became fishermen. And now remember, fishermen to us, that's a... Most of us, that's a recreational, relaxing pastime. Bzzz, you know? Not for these men. It was more like the reality television show. I don't watch it, but I see the commercials. Uh, what's it? The most a deadly catch. That's it. Most deadly catch. Or deadly catch. And it's these men, whether it's tuna or the brief fishing seasons off the East Coast, putting their lives on the line, all weather and storms. Well, this was the type of life that Zebedee passed on to James and John. Fishing on that lake was a life-threatening profession. Not only was it backbreaking and hard to be a throw-net fisherman, and there were long, sleepless nights when the fish would come up to feed. Your hours were the fish's hours. But many fishermen gave their lives to their profession because of the being the lowest freshwater lake in the world the weather changes in an instant and becomes violent and the storms swamp even the sturdiest boats on that lake those fishermen they're renowned from Jesus' time for their toughness. Do you realize that a few years after Jesus ascended to his father's right hand, that Israel rebelled against Rome? That's when the temple was destroyed. It ended with the Jews committing suicide on Masada. That war. We often miss what happened in the war in Galilee, where Josephus, the historian, was one of the Jewish generals. Those fishermen were so tough they fought those Roman legionnaires to a standstill. And when they couldn't fight them on land any longer, they took to their boats, forming a freshwater navy, and they fought the Romans as a navy. Finally, the Roman centurions, who couldn't reach them any other way, put together a gigantic fort that would float, a giant battle raft, and there was a giant sea battle, and the fishermen of the Galilee died at the hands of the Roman soldiers. They were strong and tough men. To be a fisherman in those days was hard. And we see in Mark chapter one, one of these parallel passages I spoke of, we see Jesus when he called James and John into a fuller full-time ministry, not designating them yet as apostles, but calling them individually to follow him. We see them hard at work with Zebedee himself. One of the times he makes an appearance, not just in name or through the sons, but Zebedee himself. This is right after Jesus called their partners, Peter and Andrew, into ministry, saying that he would make them fishers of men. Again, if fishing is a relaxing, recreational pastime, you think of your ministry as fishers of men as being something easy and fun. But these men knew to be a fisherman was dangerous and hard. And so they went willingly. Not surprisingly, they went to their martyrdoms as well. As soon as he calls Peter and Andrew, he continues then to James and John and their boat. Verse 19 of Mark 1, When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. I find that interesting because Zebedee is a successful fisherman. Not only are they partners with Peter's family, the sons of Jonah, Peter and Andrew, we read elsewhere that they're partners, but they have hired men. Literally in Greek, they have servants. Repairing and preparing the nets is hard, dirty, smelly work. gives you arthritis of the hands and a sore back. To many of us are thinking uh, the boss's son would best leave that to the hired men, but not Zebedee's son. Zebedee and his sons were doing the hard work of fishermen along with the hired men as well. Not only did he teach his sons the blessing of work and to earn a living in life, No doubt he taught them the word of life as well. These Galilean fishermen were looking for the Messiah. They had to learn that at home from their parents from a very young age. It's one of the things that we are blessed to do as parents, as fathers and mothers, is to model and speak God's word of love to our children. Proverbs chapter 4, the first chapters of Proverbs, are the words of a father speaking to his son And I love what it says in chapter 4, verse 3. Reflecting upon his teaching, the father himself says, When I was a boy in my father's house, still tender, and 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 an only child of my mother, he taught me and said, Lay hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commands and you will live. Part of a father." raising up his son, teaching them to work is also teaching them to know God, teaching them the word of God with our actions and our attitudes as well as our words. Teach them the words that will give them life. Hold on to these commands the father tells the young son, still tender, still under mom's care as a young child. He says, learn from me and you will live. It's not always easy being a parent today, a father, a mother, a mother, playing the role of mother and father, as we see so often in society. Because one of those difficult roles is discipline and correction, raising and training a child to be self-disciplined, to make healthy and wise choices for ourselves that will impact those around us. Oh, we're thankful not when they're doing it for us when we're young correcting our course in life they do it not only with loving words warm hugs but sometimes they have to correct us in more forceful manners set us on the right path and rather than resenting them we remember and are thankful As the book of Hebrews says, it likens the discipline and correction that God brings into the lives of His children. It likens it to the correction and loving discipline we receive from our earthly fathers. The author of Hebrews writes, Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good that we may share in His holiness. It's hard to be a father, hard to be a mom, to correct and discipline a child. It's easier not to do it. But when you see a child adrift, with no rules, no boundaries, a child raising themselves, you know that they're lacking the love, the love of a parent who loves them enough to correct and discipline them. That's the mark of a loved child as a parent who cares enough to correct. The shadow that dads cast in our life as adults is hard to comprehend. It's one thing kind of humorous as we see ourselves say what they say and and do what they do as we become older. But that shadow touches our lives in so many ways. Not only because of their presence, but even the absence of a father casts a shadow on our lives. Sometimes we work hard to overcome it. Sometimes we work hard to live up to it. As a child, you realize very early that shadows can be on you, but you can't feel them. But they touch you all the same. And that's how it is as we grow with the Father's influence. I have a quote, a picture of a, a Christian author named Kent Nairburn. He's written about a dozen books, many of them reflecting uh, his experience with indigenous believers. Interesting books of spirituality. And he speaks of the influence of a father as a shadow that touches our lives. The touches of a father's shadow throughout our lives. He writes this about that and his own experience being a father. None of us can escape this shadow of the father, even if that father fills us with fear, even if it has no name or face, to be worthy of that man, to prove something to that man, to exercise the memory of that man from every corner of our life, however it affects us, the shadow of that man cannot be denied. We labor under the shadow. It makes us who we are and shapes the man we hope to be. To become a father is to understand that power of that shadow from the other side. You realize that the touches you make upon your son will shape him, for better or for worse, for his entire life. And who can know which touches have meaning? A word here, a glance there. A time together, a time apart, which will be the moments that will rise up in memory and shape the child that looks without judgment on all you do and say? Those are powerful words. The shadow we cast into the lives of our children through our presence or through our absence. Finally this morning, friends, Zebedee not only raised sons and rears sons, but as we see him in the passage we read already this morning, he loved them enough to release them. He released his sons to Jesus. The graphic on the screen is one that may tug at the heartstrings of parents. As you all remember that moment that comes in the life of every parent when the children cross that line from being yours living their life your relationship fundamentally changes as you release them to their lives and their world you're not the custodial parent any longer how zebedee was blessed the boys were in the family business he had them around for years very likely they all lived in one great big house we know peter and andrew did and in those days you lived in your father's house until his passing But the time came when they left him. And they left him for Jesus. Now that takes grace. That takes faith. We see that parallel passage that we read from Mark. We see it recorded in Matthew chapter 4. Matthew 4. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net in the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said. I'll make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Coming on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father followed him. That's the last time we see Zebedee standing in the boat with the hired hands, watching his sons walk away with Jesus. The apple of his eye, his oldest son James, would be the first of the apostles to be martyred for his faith. And while John would live a long life, He would be exiled. He would be banished. Become a government enemy. He'd suffer and be tortured for his faith. What you don't see in this passage is Zebedee putting his foot down and saying no. Grabbing his sons by the scruff of the neck for they don't know better and keeping them there rather than going off of this wandering preacher. No. As a man of faith... No doubt knowing Jesus and His teaching, no doubt having faith in the Lord, He gave His sons to God as He gave them to Jesus. Now some of you as parents, you pray to give your children to the Lord. You come before the church and you publicly dedicate them to God. You rejoice when they accept Jesus as their Savior, but to hear a call into vocational ministry Oh, that's another story. They might go to another country, another culture, where those people may reject them, may hurt them, and certainly won't love them and care for them like you do. It's easy as a parent to hang on to them. To, in not so many words, but work against that. Just to keep them close and to keep them safe. But Zebedee knew it may be a hard road To be a fisher of men, if it was anything as hard as being a fisher of fish in the Galilee, it was going to be a rough road. But he let them go all the same. Moms and dads, one of the most loving yet biblical things you can do as a parent is to let them go. Do you recognize the first time the word father is used in scripture? It's not used of God. It's used in regards to Adam and Eve. And how human life is supposed to work. The first use of father in Genesis chapter 2 is. And he shall leave his father and mother. And be united with his wife. The first time a dad is mentioned. His son is leaving him. To become a fully formed functioning adult. So parents we got to let them go. And who better to let them go to? than to Jesus. Thank you, Zebedee. Thank you so much. On behalf of all the sons who answered the call, thank you to the fathers and moms who let us go. And not only did Zebedee lose his sons to Jesus, he come home to an empty house. Because we saw a couple weeks ago that not only did the the sons, the apostles, followed Jesus, but the women of Galilee followed along to care for the needs and set up camp and 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 make sure there's some warm food where possible in the wilderness for these men. And we see that the core of that group were the moms of the apostles. Half of the apostles, at least that we know, had their moms taking care of the camp as Jesus would travel. For instance, one of those passages we see recorded the women at the cross of Jesus in Matthew chapter 27. Many women were there watching from a distance the crucifixion. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for His needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, apostles, and the mother of Zebedee's sons, we had Jesus' mom, Peter and Andrew's mom, James and James the Lesser and Jude's mom, James and John's mom. They were there caring for the men. And as wonderful as that is, well, it sometimes caused problems because as we'll see in a couple weeks, uh, James and John's mom goes to Jesus on behalf of her sons that they have places of honor at his side, causing a little bit of fracas in the camp. But what did that do to Zebedee? He lost his sons and he lost his wife to this traveling band. And yet we don't hear a word of complaint in Scripture. He didn't stop them. He agreed with what they were doing. This was a man to let them go. Understood his position as a parent. Heaven help us, may we understand that as well that we are to point them toward God and let them go. There's a lady, Crystal McDowell. She's a wonderful author, Daughters of the Creator. She has an online devotional that she writes every day. She's also the mom of five kids. And I have a quote of Crystal McDowell about her children as she's released them. She says, "When, When we let our children fly as arrows... We understand that we have been chosen by God to be the bow in their lives and point them in the right direction as we lead them to Jesus. (laughs) They're the arrows and we're the bow. We fire them in God's direction, in love and in faith. And that's the best we can do friends at this time as god speaks to us from his word i'll call upon the worship team to join me on the platform as i close in prayer let's pray together heavenly father i thank you this morning for zebedee zebadia zebedios lord his name means gift of the lord the gift of yahweh Lord, when Zebedee was born, his parents gave praise because he was a gift from you. But Lord, as he grew to be a father, he became a gift to his own children, a gift to his sons. For this man played the role of the bow that shot his sons as an arrow to Jesus. Lord, he left marks on their lives. They were known as the sons of thunder. They reflected the zeal the love of the Messiah, of their father, no doubt. But Lord, as much as he loved those boys, as much as he depended on them in their work, he let them go. Lord, he gave his best to Jesus. And Lord, as moms and dads in a difficult world today, may we rededicate ourselves fresh and new to give our children and to give ourselves as parents to Jesus. Thank you for our fathers. Thank you for being our heavenly Father. We pray all of this in Christ's name.
1: Amen.